The Artificial Intelligence Podcast. AI in real life. I'm having a happy year, everyone. It was a year of to all the boys I've loved before and the year of crazy rich Asians. I still have a warm and fuzzy feeling inside. 1010 would recommend for wholesomeness and for food. It was actually quite monumental for me to see a girl on the poster of a movie who, well, who looks like me. And I hadn't even realized it was something I had missed all this time. I guess that's kind of life though, right? I mean, advanced math classes in high school, only girl. Theoretical physics. We had dinners with all the female students in the entirety of the Netherlands, and I could still easily fit them in my student living room. Strategy consulting, only non-white person. Legacy media, only person under 40. Was that funny, guys? My name is Lia Wang, and sometimes I'm a loner and sometimes a chameleon. Luckily, there are companies like Microsoft for whom diversity and ethics in AI are a priority. One of the frontrunners in this field is Kay Firth Butterfield, head of AI and machine learning at the World Economic Forum and also, very cool, one of the world's top 25 women in robotics. She's taking ethics in AI one step further, bringing together governments, companies, technology, and us, humans. The forum has a unique position in the world in that it is totally impartial um, and it's an international organization. And so other international organizations, you know, like the United Nations, for example, are extremely powerful um, organizations, but they tend to be led by um, the countries within the United Nations, making national choices. Mm. Um, the for, and, but the for, what the forum does is bring together those countries, um, businesses, academia, and civil society mm. to really be able to put them in the same place and talk about the same problems and try and resolve them together. So in the um, work that I'm doing at the forum... The idea is that in every project, we will have all those four constituencies, constituencies represented um, in every project. So just to give you an example of, of a project that, that demonstrates that, and that is the uh, project that we're doing with the United Kingdom government, and uh, that is creating best practice guidelines for the government's procurement of artificial intelligence. And so that goes back to creating these firm foundations. So the work of the forum and the work that, that I, myself and my colleagues do across these emerging technologies is we do a project with one country that agrees to pilot we usually have two or three other countries that also agree to pilot, um, and the UAE is the backing country for the UK. But the idea is that what we're creating is a model that we hope can scale globally. So obviously everybody's going to be slightly different, mm -hmm. but everybody needs procurement rules around procurement of artificial intelligence wherever you are in the world. Right. And and you talk a lot about how governance and regulation should be agile. What what does that mean to you? How can we how can we bring that in practice? 
Okay, so that, that means that by the one, you know, this is the lawyer speaking, by the time that we have regulated in many, in many cases in these fast-moving technology spaces, the technology has moved on beyond the regulations. So regulators are always playing catch-up. Yep. And so um, what we want to do is to look for ways that actually effectively our regulation but are not caught up in the slow process of the regula- of, of legislation. And Can so, again, the, the procurement project is a perfect example of that because it's the UK saying, this is a line in the sand for us. This is where we would regulate if we were to, to go ahead and legislate. But we don't want to do that. We want to tell you what we're expecting of you. We, don't, we are stopping you entering into selling AI to the government unless you meet this, this particular standard. And it's a sort of good signal to everybody else um, creating AI within the jurisdiction as well. So it's almost more like um, setting a rule book, setting up a framework rather than, than, yeah. than implementing the rules. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, the, the, on the downside of this, um, there isn't anything that you could take to court because obviously uh, in the procurement thing, it's just if you don't meet the standards, then the UK won't buy your artificial intelligence solutions. Yeah. But you don't get the um, opportunity to kind of break the law then. Abs- absolutely. You don't get the opportunity to break the law. There are certain areas where I think that most of them or many of us working in this space have agreed, are agreed that there should be some sort of um, legislation. So, for example, uh, during summer, Brad Smith, who's the president of um, Microsoft and is also the co-chair of the forum's um, Global AI Council called for urgent regulation around facial recognition technology. And I think the vast majority of us feel that that is an area where government simply has to intervene. Um, and, you know, in another area we would, we would probably all agree on it would be around the deep fakes. Yeah. yeah. So, so what are the areas you would say that, you know, there a rule book, whether you can or cannot enter the playing field is not enough. You actually have to create legislation on, on, on what's allowed. Like biases is one thing I hear you say. Yeah, I think you, I think you can probably deal with a lot of that by having a rule book. So um, we will be publishing in February a white paper, for example, helping businesses to understand how appropriately they should use um, AI in hiring decisions, for example. So, you know, I think there are, there are standards that the IEEE is bringing in around uh, bias. And so that might not need legislation. But the places that absolutely definitely need legislation are places where um, in a democratic society... Uh, the use of AI can undermine democracy. Mm. So those are the deep fakes you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah. um, facial recognition technology, yeah. you know, the, the opportunity to um, 
impede our civil liberties is huge with yep. the use of facial recognition technology. And then another area that I think bears scrutiny, um, whether it's for legislation or whether it's for agile governance, is the, you know, when, when we're using AI to uh, predict criminal activity. Yeah. So, you know, in areas where our civil liberties are at stake or our democracy is at stake, we have to think very carefully about the tools that we use. Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense to me. It's almost like there are areas that are super high risk if something goes wrong and you need to legislate those very tightly. And then there are areas where the risk is perhaps in not doing something, in not, you know, realizing a certain innovation. And that's where you need agile governance. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good way of putting it. And when we go back to the UK example, which is an example of agile governance, right? Um, but who else do you plan to involve in this project, and and how do you make sure it is, you know, both multi-stakeholder and agile? Okay, so already we've had our first workshop, and as I say, we always involve um, business, government civil society and, um, and, and academia in every project. So we've already had a workshop where they have all been represented. Um, as we go through the project, we will be updating on our website weekly um, what we are doing at any point and inviting suggestions from everyone from the public um, through to uh, civil society, etc. Um, so we want this to be a completely transparent and open process. Yeah, yeah, and that should be an example of how AI is managed in general. I can imagine. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of the, one of the problems is that there's a lot of artificial intelligence being created that people don't actually realize what it's about. Yeah. What, what it's capable of. And to what extent is it, does it matter that AI is, the majority of AI algorithms are, are public knowledge, are open source, or at least um, openly discussed in academia? Well, I think that it, it may not be, you know, there's, there's always the risk with making everything open source. Um, and that risk is that then you can get people who you, bad actors, mm -hmm. using the technology. But um, I think that the vast majority of people working in this space do tend to feel that open source work is, is really important. And what I would like people to do is really to be trained at an early stage to think about the social implications of what they're actually doing. And so we have this other small project, which is working with professors of artificial intelligence to build into their curricula a social impact um, piece um, so that their students don't come out saying, oh, yes, well, I've built this algorithm to do X and I never thought about the consequences. Yeah, yeah. So the, so the developers, the scientists should be thinking about consequences much earlier in their career and their education. Absolutely. And then that should continue happening. So do te the technologists need to have this education at an earlier stage, so right back in their undergraduate and before that, 
um, in school because we'll be starting teaching these things in school. Um, but also uh, they need to have it as a lifelong ex a learning exercise so that the companies that they're employed by um, really uh, want to have responsible use instead of having people create things that that really perhaps shouldn't be out there in the world. Yeah, and and I that's true for the people who build this, but I think that's also true for people like me, for instance. Everyone who's just living their lives in the world, um, how do we make how do we make sure all of us are educated and can perhaps make the career switch that you made, or can at least assess all those things that are coming into the world, whether that's something that's good for me or not. Yes, I think that that's going to be a really important piece. It may be that some things need to be better labeled. So, you know, in Europe, we have this wonderful labeling system on our food, for example. Um, one of the things that we're thinking about at the forum is uh, labeling the uh, AI-enabled toys, for example. How do you ensure that parents... Have a good understanding of the toys that they're buying this Christmas, and and this is a super specific and and super tangible example because it's about our kids and 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 what they come into contact with. But but I can imagine it's much broader. Like like if you would ask my mother-in-law what is AI, she literally wouldn't have a, a clue. How do we educate you know everyone on? the big and small things um, that are happening around us, you know, also how they can improve our lives. Yes, um, I think that that's the problem that we are all thinking about because um, the public's simply not aware of, for example, and again, you know, you have GDPR, so it's slightly different for you, but, you know, the public are, simply aren't um, and don't understand the amount of data they give away voluntarily. When they do the quizzes, for example, that you see on social media, you know, that's giving away a huge amount of your, data, your personal data. Um, there was, we've certainly, at the forum, are in conversations with the Japanese government to talk about how you might protect people's data using, for example, blockchain and allow individuals to monetize their data themselves by making choices about whether you, um, you know, you might want to, to uh, contribute, for example, your genomic data to research on cancer. But if you're actually going to be contributing it to a pharmaceutical company, you might want to make money on, on making that contribution. And um, I think if that begin, if we begin to see that, we will actually begin to get much more awareness amongst the general public of um, data privacy and and uh, the issues around, for for example, bias and transparency. Yeah, so, so and we need to realize it's an it's an asset. It's my asset, and it's my choice where I give that asset to. Yes, but at the moment, nothing's set up to be able to make for you to make that choice. You yeah. know, in terms and conditions, you just have to click through. If you want the service, you 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 then have to you have to go ahead and click yes, I yeah, accept. Exactly. 
Hey, and one other thing that really struck me ab- about you is how you're a strong believer that AI should benefit everyone. And I remember in one of your talks, you asked this very, very poignant question. You know, how do we how how do we move from the brightest minds in AI focusing on selling more and more soda um, when so many people don't even have access to clean water? Yeah, so that quote is actually not mine. I wish it were. It's uh, it's a quote from Mustafa Suleiman, who is one of the co-founders of DeepMind. Um, but I feel it. I use it because I feel it very strongly that um, we need to be thinking about using this truly powerful technology to really be solving some of the big issues in our world. And um, how we do that, I, I don't know at the moment. I, um, it's, something, it's the one thing, that's, or one of the things that keeps me awake at night. How do we help um, developing countries to really use, have, feel the benefits of AI? And so one of the things that I have actually been saying to countries is what you need to do is to have a national strategy for artificial intelligence. Because where you've got, where we see countries with a national strategy, we see countries actually being able to think through, well, what, how are we going to use AI? What are, the, what are the ethical problems of using AI? And how can we solve them so that then we can make AI available to everybody? So a great example of that is India. Um, where they not only have a national strategy, but they also included the ethical components in their national strategy um, and sought advice from people outside India on that and um, now can begin to plan, you know, how to make AI more available to small and medium-sized enterprises in India so that everybody moves up or floats, everybody's boats float um, as a result of artificial intelligence. And they can do that because they have a strategy around it. Yeah, yeah they've, they've thought about the, the full picture of, of how to use AI in the best way. Yeah. Say, you know, we all managed to do this. We managed to bring together the stakeholders. We managed to think through a strategy, how, how everyone can benefit. And I know you're, uh, you're for sure, you've already been thinking about what the world's going to look like 10 years from now, okay? Yes. Where are we yes, going to be? Have. You know, where are we going to be if all that happens? Well, what, um, I am very much hoping that um, we have put some firm foundations in place now, so that what we do in the next ten years is actually for the benefit of humanity, and we don't have any big missteps with with AI, which is is a real concern. Um, but if we can get these firm foundations in, in place now, then, um, you know, I think as we move forward, we will see big changes in terms of, en- of employment, um, as artificial intelligence does more of the routine sort of stuff that we do. We can see big savings in energy, which will have a great in- impact upon the climate. We could use algorithms to really think through um, optimizing energy use across the uh, across the spectrum, yeah. which would help with the climate. Yeah, there are a lot of small things we can actually already do tomorrow. Absolutely, and what's really important about those small things 
It is if you're using algorithm to optimize, algorithms to optimize your energy use, you aren't having this interface between algorithms and, and humans, which bring up some of the challenges of bias, for example. So we can use those areas where exposure to humans and thus ethical risks are limited to start training ourselves as well in what it means to build good AI. Kay Firth Butterfield, head of AI and machine learning at the World Economic Forum and perpetually ahead of her time. The OG AI. So this is Christmas. And it's a dystopian future with AI taking over and killer robots everywhere. Or it's that mushy feeling of wanting to be human. With all those feelings and independence, caring for each other, which we all should do anyway, as the human beings we are. So, Wally forever. But what about one of the most human of human beings we got to have in movies and on TV? Robin Williams. In the 99 movie by Sentinel Man, Robin Williams plays Andrew, the NDR series housekeeping robot. The movie starts in 2005, which was not too distant future then, but is almost ancient history now. But the themes, the human themes, stay the same in the past and in the future. The plot of the story explores issues of humanity, slavery, prejudice, maturity, intellectual freedom, conformity, sex, love and mortality. I mean, what did we miss? Now, one could argue, what do we care about robots' feelings? But isn't that the whole point? Take some time to see Robin Williams as a robot and melt your heart. And then watch Wall-E and feel some faith in humanity restored. Now, technology is driving conversations about who we are, who we want to be, what morals and ethics govern us. AI forces us to reflect on the biases all of us have, often without knowing it. It brings together companies, scientists, legislators, and many more to have the big discussion of our time. What does it mean to be human? I can't wait to find out what's next. Follow me for more on bnr.nl slash AI podcast or on your favorite podcast app.